You're listening to the Hunter Conservationist Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's Mark Hall, your host. And Curtis Hall, the co-host. We at the Hunter Conservationist are excited to announce our new title sponsor, the Hunter Conservationist Podcast, brought to you by community-minded Alpine Toyota in Cranbrook, BC. Alpine Toyota is a fully stocked parts and service center for all makes and models of vehicles. They're well known for their off-road outfitted Tacoma 4x4s. They have seven service bays and a team of licensed technicians. They sell tires for all makes and models, including off-road and winter tires. 2021 Toyota vehicles are in stock and 2022s are expected to roll in September, including the new Toyota Tundra. So we are very excited. Thank you to Alpine Toyota for being the title sponsor for the next 24 episodes. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, it's so exciting. Um, I'm really excited about this for the Toyota, Alpine Toyota crew to come uh, on board. Um, the owner of the Alpine Toyota in Cranbrook, Bruce Smith, he's just an amazing, amazing guy. He does so much in the town of Cranbrook, like supporting all types of community initiatives. And he is a huge, huge personal supporter and his dealership is uh, of Ducks Unlimited Canada. Um, absolutely loves it. He's been supporting and been to like banquets for like 31 straight years, I think he was saying. And he just loves all things like outdoors and camping and hunting and fishing and you know, he's got property out, you know, in the in the wilderness that he lives on and and when I was in his office here over the summer, it's like we're chatting about him running into grizzly bears on his property and fishing and, you know, and all kinds of stuff. And he, he's really excited um, to be part of what we're doing too. He really, um, really loves the messages. You know, the customers that come in, Cranbrook are all outdoors people, hunters, fly fishers, camping people, his staff love the outdoors. So it's a really great fit. We look forward to a lot of great things working with Alpine Toyota. So thanks. Yeah. So <clears throat> Spatsizi Plateau Wilderness Provincial Park is in Northern British Columbia. It's the second largest park wilderness area in the province at almost 700,000 hectares or 1.7 million acres in size. It's completely remote. It has trails. You fly into some of the lakes and it is a massive, massive wilderness area. Spatsizi, as I remember it, was a local name uh, that means land of the red goat. And there was legends about mountain goats in Spatsizi that were sort of a reddish pink color. And it turns out that there were soil deposits that were very rich in iron, very red. And then, you know, in the late year when uh, the billies are rutting and they're kind of rolling in the mud and stuff, they would get colored. So that's the, 
uh, as I understand it, Spatsy is land of the red goat. Um, it's full of caribou, moose, bears, and mountain goats, and stone sheep. And Tom Leonard drew a stone sheep permit, correct? And the limited entry, yes. Yep, the limited entry. And he went in to go um, pursue his hunt, uh, pursue a stone sheep. And he signed in at one of the two trailheads, the Eagle Nest Trailhead, um, that goes into the Wilderness Park uh, on September 11th, 2005. That's the correct? That's correct. And was never heard from again. That was 16 years ago. Yes, it was. So on today's show, we have Tom's wife, Tammy Leonard, who uh, is going to tell us about Tom and his story. And we want to reach people and get the message out and have the ultimate goal um, to find Tom, bring him home. How you doing, Tammy? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having <laughs> me. No, it's 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 our pleasure for sure. Um, it's a it is a uh, it is a gripping story. Um, so we really look look forward to hearing from you and the messages and stuff. Um, today, this episode comes out on this first of September, um, which in many parts of the province, including where we live, is the start of hunting season. So I'm actually out in the mountains right now. Um, it's opening day of elk archery season in the southern Rocky Mountains, but we're recording this a little about a week before. So, um, so we really want to. Um, to hit home for this, this, the start of hunting season for folks listening and, and get some messages uh, across and, and also try to get more people knowing about, about Tom's story. So Tammy, um, tell us about Tom. Sure. <laughs> um, from the minute he was born, he was meant to be outside. Outside was his happy place. Um, he did fishing, hunting at a, at a young age, hiking, and I met him and he introduced me to hiking. I'm a little nervous of the bears, so that was <laughs> something that I had to adapt to and not really keen on sleeping in tents, <laughs> but yeah, Tom, Tom was, he, he just absolutely loved it. Um, we met each other young, I was 16, and uh, basically high school sweethearts. And wow. we got married in the early 90s. And five years later, we welcomed our first daughter and then our second daughter. They too, he treated them that the outdoors was good. They rarely played inside. He encouraged them to be outside all the time. And to this day, they're both backcountry hikers and, and really do like the outdoors. Um, <clears throat> even though his influence with them uh, was only for nine years with my oldest and seven years with my second daughter. Mm. So he, sheep, sheep hunting was something he really, really, really wanted to do. 
Um, He was so excited. It was almost like winning the lottery when he won that limited entry to Spetsuzzi. It, he started training. He was so excited. Like I said, it, it literally was the lottery for him. Um, I watched him pack his pack. I watched him go hiking with that pack. I watched him do treadmills with that pack. (laughs) Um, On our family vacation in August before he left, he would have the girls on his back and I would be on a trail and he would decide he's going to hike up, not stay on the trail with one of the children on his back. He was so excited for this hunt. So as you said, September, he did head out for Tispat Susie. And uh, like you said, he signed in on the Eagle Nest trailhead and did everything right. Left me a note, well, told me as well as write it down where he was going to be, when he was going to return. Um, he researched Spetsuzzi, he reached out to the parks to talk to them about it. He reached out to guide outfitters. Um, I, like, I know he did this stuff. I didn't really pay attention to how much until I started seeing notes of things that he was writing down. Maps, he had maps everywhere. At that time, the internet wasn't as popular <laughs> as it is now. Right, yeah, so, for research and stuff. For, for the trips. research. So there was yeah. maps yeah. all over our living room floor. And he just really was trying to understand what he, where he was going to go, what he was going to do, how he was going to tackle this hunt. Um, he talked to people. Anytime we were out camping, he was constantly talking to people to see where they had been. And um, yeah, he, like I said, he was excited. Well, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because I think you, you know, you find out about your, your limited entry draws. I, th- I think it's kind of like in around March or something like that. So yeah, then people start to, to plan and book their holidays and for the sheep hunting trips up north. And it's like, yeah, you start, you start training and doing all, all those things as well. And figure out everything that you're going to take and put it in your pack and then you take it all out and yeah. have to figure out what you have to kind of you can't take because your pack's heavier than what you thought right there's probably the whole summer of repacking packing it. yeah yeah tough choices do i need a fork and a spoon <laughs> <laughs> so what what was his what was his plan um when when he went in like what was um the time, the time frame that he was going to be gone unless he was successful and came out, out early. How did you remember it? So he had told, he left our home on September 10th and, and signed in on September 11th at the trailhead. He was to do a 10-day hunt. And I recall him saying that he was going to do a 10-day hunt and loop back around to his truck for another 10 days worth of food. If he wanted to stay there and do another 10 days, he would sign back in and go back in. If he wasn't enjoying himself or just for whatever reason, he had his quad with him and he was going to go to a different location. Okay. So when he didn't come home and, and the RCMP found his truck at the 
Eagle Nest Trailhead, my first question to them was, is there 10 days worth of food still in the truck? Which there right. was. Right, there was. Hmm. Okay. So that that was kind of like the, the first clue was he went in for those first 10 days and didn't didn't come out and re resupply. So even if he had forgot to sign in and the food wasn't there, it would have been an important time clue for you. Yes. So then what, um, what happened next when, when they found his, his truck and that information? So there was about, they found his truck and then headed back to Dee's Lake to call me and tell me that they found it. And I, it was me that initiated them to go back and break the window. So there was a day delay. Once they broke the window and the 10 days worth of food was in there, they knew they had a missing hunter. So they called search and rescue in that day. Okay. Okay. Um, and then when, what day was that? That would Your have been um, October 3rd. They found his truck. So October 4th, search and rescue was called. Okay. Um, now, s where did search and rescue come from? Because, like, that's your Dee's Lake is a long ways up there. I'm I'm not sure if there was. Is there search and rescue in Dee's Lake, or did they come from? No, like, I believe Paris it was. It was. Or? I believe it was Smithers. Okay. That okay. was our yeah. head. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because they can actually fly from Smithers and get into the bottom part of Spatsizi. Like, not super easy, but it it because it's such a big park. So okay. Um, so then search and rescue went in and how long did the, the search go for that first fall? Um, so the search was called off on October 8th. So October 4th, they were called October 5th. We had boots on the ground. October 6th, we had the infrared police helicopter as well. Um, October 5th, 6th, 7th, yeah. Mm -hmm. And we also, a lot of um, locals had heard, so there was some private planes flying. A lot of Quinnell uh, family, um, some workers that he worked with went as well, and they helped search as well. But the weather, the weather in early October is, it, it was bad. It, there was a lot of snow, they were, it was so deep. So it was, it was called due to weather. Yeah. Yeah. I lived in Dee's Lake for a few summers working there and it's just north of the Arctic Pacific divide. So everything kind of from almost from spots, easy north water flows to the Arctic and like you're, you're up there in the north. And I remember, you know, May, still being two or three feet of snow in the town and in august the leaves were all turning orange because it was fall and snow was starting to show up in september so yeah. it's a very very different you know climate up there because it is so far north and you know um i guess that's something people have to appreciate is like yeah winter is setting in anytime from september to october so um now, just kind of like 
looking so he went in on the 11th for 10 days so that would have been around the 21st but then he may have stayed for 10 more days so that would have placed uh, that would have been like a total of 20 days he was away which your you were expecting him home at the latest was October, like October. 2nd. Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. So there was a few days there, obviously between the second and then finding the truck. And you said then going back and finding that the food was there, knowing there was a missing hunter mobilizing search and rescue. So, um, a, a few days, a few days to kind of get, get organized. Yeah, so the boots should have been on the ground on the 5th because, like I said, the truck was found on the 3rd and okay. the food was discovered on the 4th. Okay, okay. Um, and then walk us through, like, the next the next year, the next spring. What, what were the winter plans and what unfolded? So the RCMP had promised that they would do a recovery operation the following year. Um, family, they didn't really say a date, so family, friends decided that they also would do a voluntary search and see what they could find. And that was at the end of June, early July. So there was about 31 people. Uh, not everybody I knew. There was, there was strangers that had volunteered as well. Mm. Um, we had conservation officers and first responders. Um, somebody came with a cadaver dog. Uh, like they were guide outfitters. We made sure there was a guide outfitter in every group. Uh, and I didn't know these people. My family is not this. <laughs> <laughs> so th this is just people volunteering to help. And they, they went in, they, they were dropped in many different parts of the park in groups of four-ish, some had three, um, and then they were all to work. So if they were dropped on the top of the mountain, they were to work down and everybody just kind of was working to a center location to be picked up by a helicopter after they had searched and nothing, there was nothing found they had some of the guys that were dropped on the top of the mountain in different areas hits, had snow um, that they were fighting with, but there just, just absolutely nothing was found. Hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a massive area. Massive. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it was somewhat narrowed down based on like where he said he was going to go and, and the loop. I, I, I assume that's like a trail system that would have been kind of like known, right? Like it's so people that knew the area and went in and said, okay, at least we're maybe just kind of like looking in this particular geographic area. But there is a, a few people that know Spetsyz, um, and enter, and you enter from the Eagle Nest. There, there could there was a few loops that could have been made. Okay. Yes. However, okay. knowing hunters and yourselves probably as well knowing you make plans and you tell people plans can change mm -hmm. he told me a loop but plans could change he may have not done that loop and we had to keep that in mind too he may have not he may have glassed and seen something and went that way 
Yeah, no, exactly. I think that's the that's the difference. And, you know, like something I'd like people to understand is is like the thinking of a hunter. Um, and I've done this on flying trips up north. You do all this planning and you and you're gonna go up this valley and you're gonna hunt this mountaintop. And so you do all this packing and set up a camp, you get on that mountaintop, and the sheep you actually saw are across the next valley on the next mountain range. And you're like, well, I wasn't actually thinking I was going to have to go that far, but there's like sheep over there. So away you go. But you may have left plans to say, oh, I'm just going to go like up and hunt this mountain range. So that might be a little bit of like a different way that a hunter would react on the landscape, say, compared to just somebody that was going in on hiking. It's like, we're going to do the trail a we're going to do the loop we're going to like hit go to this lake da, 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 and probably maybe not deviate that but hunters are somewhat at the mercy of where where we find the animals and that's where that's where we get drawn so oh man that's that would be a challenge so what what was it like, like that, that spring, like you said, you have strangers going up there that are searching. Um, you've probably had to like sit all winter and think and like nothing's happening. Nobody can do anything. Um, like how, how did you, how did you feel? Like, was it like you felt like you should be doing something or that you, like trusted and believed in the people that were there? Like what, what, what was it? What did it feel like to be there? Um, I was in the loop of the planning for the search. Um, I may have not put a lot of input, but I listened and I heard who was going. I heard what they were going to do. It helped. Every day I had the internet set to Dee's Lake and I, I looked. What's the weather? When can we get in? Oh, Every day. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And even mm -hmm. June here, June's great. Um, there, there was still snow, right? And, and they probably still yeah. went, we probably still pushed it. We probably went in too soon, but we did. Okay. Um, so that was 2006. Six. Okay. Yes. And then what were some of the events that then happened after 2006? Were there other search parties go in, other? Uh, the RCMP helicopter did give us a day and they flew um, the summer of 2006. And then that was it. We knew we we're on our own. Like there's, unless something could be found, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack. And um, I knew I'd, I wouldn't have the support of authorities without something, right? So um, my father, Tom's father had passed away when he, in a car accident when he was 13. So mm. my dad was kind of like his dad, right? And it, it hit home with him too. And, and he, like, he just wanted to help. So every year, for 2000, well, he was part of the 2006 search, 2007, 2008. We just kept going back and checking different areas. Somebody would give us an idea, check this area, and back in, we'd fly. 
the girls and I went to Totoga. I believe it was in 2007. And, you know, talked to people in Iskit and and talked to the people at Totoga. We were going to take a helicopter into Spetsuzu, but unfortunately, it was too emotional. We just couldn't do it. So my dad, he did it again. And after 2008, I came to the realization that I'm, I'm probably not going to find him doing what I'm doing, that it will be another hunter, more likely another sheep hunter. And that's what I put on my webpage. It's, I, I truly believe he will be found, but I do believe it will be another hunter. Right. Okay. Okay. So this, those efforts were like self family funded yes. activities. Jeez. Yeah. That's uh, when we start involving aircraft, that's pretty, yeah. pretty, uh, pretty taxing for sure. Um, so were there other, um, like formal searches uh, in the years afterwards? No, 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 nothing happened after we started searching in, in 2008 was, was the last initial search. I don't believe search and rescue can just go in. I, I believe there has, has to be a purpose of something. Okay, um, yeah. I'm not sure, no, no, no one came forward to say, hey, We'll help you out again. We'll we'll do it when there's no snow. We'll 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 check some more areas. It just it, it never happened. So were were the the authorities like let, let's just say that were they did did they explain to you like what their approaches were in, in these cases? Like after so many days, this is policy. This is how search and rescue does, or was it just? Like no. that's the last you heard. That that's they knew we always would let them know. Well, not always. Uh, for sure, the two thousand and six, we let them know that we were going in. Um, other than that, yeah, it's it's only if I had contacted for for some reason there was a a website that somebody had kind of talked about seeing a sleeping bag or something like that and. So I had called Dees Lake and asked for them to go check it out. And it was an area that they could drive to and they did check it out and they felt that it was from, it wasn't a sleeping bag and that it was uh, a burn, a burn had happened there and it, a firefighter may have left something. And okay. yeah, it was in a, lo a location that Tom shouldn't have been, but they did check that out for me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so o over the years you were trying to get the word out like you said you believed that it he was going to be found by another hunter so what were what were the things you were doing trying to get the messages out to the hunting community um at first it was i had contacted the limited entry and wrote letters so every year when they awarded a limited entry in species i think for two years they did this for me they couldn't tell me who was awarded the hunts um, but I could send my letter to them in an envelope 
and they could put it in with the limited entry. And I did get hunters responding from that, letting me know they re had received my letter. And and uh, the guide outfitters at the time, it was Collingwood's out there and they were aware. Um, I had missing posters up, but those do go miss, like they do not stay. But I, yeah, at the same. trailhead, it, it, it was there, it was cold fish where you would fly in, it was there, it was at Totoga. Um, at that time, that was the best that I could do. And then as time progressed and the internet became more popular, I was, and I'm not a hunter, I would sign in and make usernames and to see if anybody was going there and then reach out to them. Um, and just what, whatever it took. And then Facebook came along and I started posting every year on Facebook, please share, please share, please share. And that's what I was doing. Yeah, just trying mm -hmm. to trying to put put the word out. Um, yeah, I mean, just kind of backing up a little bit. I I am surprised that like search and rescue and the RCMP um, like didn't f like sort of formally give you like a briefing. Like this is how we're going to approach it. This is like the time effort the strategy to it, you know, weather dependent, all these sorts of things. And then after like certain days and things, it's sort of like, okay, this is, this is how we're mandated to kind of like approach this so that you knew, right. Um, like would there have been like at least a tiny little bit of closure with sort of knowing exactly what the position of the steps of those organizations were rather than just sort of being like, yeah, we searched, we didn't find anything. Sorry, they left. And then you're like, well, now what? Now what do I do? <laughs> and maybe because we were arranging that 2006 search, they just st stepped back and watched. I, I don't know. I've never heard. Uh, I see hikers missing on the lower mainland. Uh, I don't know what the protocol is. Okay. How okay. Yeah, I just don't know. Would that have been somewhat helpful? I mean, to your peace of mind to just kind of have that communication from them at least to know? Oh, for sure. For sure. I, I, yeah, I just assumed that the that was it. That the okay. initials, I just assumed. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then... Tell us the story about the hunter that may have found the tent. So oh. in 2013, a hunter was in the Ram Creek area and he stumbled upon just above the tree line, tucked into one of the trees, a tent and it had, it was collapsed and just, it was a camp and he, he thought that was odd. And he had looked at the tent collapsed and there was a few items there. And yeah, a mental note, he, he thought it was odd. He, at that time, he didn't have a GPS with him to record the coordinates as well as he was, he said he may have heard that Tom was missing, but he just really did not put the two together. He just, he didn't. And one of my pleas on social media 
of remember when you're hunting in CZ, I'm still looking for my husband. Yeah. He he saw that and he's like, whoa, wait, whoa. And um, responded. The first response was to someone else sharing my post. And so I never, I never got that message. Um, but in 2019, from another plea of mine, he reached out again to see if his last um, reaching out had made it to me and what we had found. And I had said, no, I, I didn't know anything about this. And um, so the minute I found out from him, I called the RCMP and said, there's a possible sighting of a, of a brown tent. And um, at that time, it was too late. It, I believe it was October. It, it was late in the season and they had taken my notes and taken the information of who the hunter was and and said that they would um, look into it more in the spring when it was easier to get in there. Right. So that was in 2019. And, wow. um, That's a big gap between yeah. 2013 and 2019. Very big gap, yeah. Very big gap. And, you know, especially all the work you were doing as one, one person trying to, you know, make as many people as possible in the province know. So, you know, something like this it happened, it, there would be a, a timely response. And, and um, that was still a, still a challenge. I mean, it's a big province, a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of hunters and stuff. But uh, yeah, that's uh, almost like a little bit of a less a lesson there, right? In 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 that in that sense of like reaching and 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 educating and and communicating to people, and um, I think like what you said earlier, it was like even just a few years ago, five years ago, six seven years ago, like the flow of information around on the internet wasn't even quite the way it is today. It's like things can get a million hits in 24 hours and you know and all that sort of stuff I think people are more conditioned to to that now of of transferring information around but yeah a few years ago that's yeah that's that was a that's that was a big big chunk of time yeah so then so then the hope in the late fall of 2019 was it in 2020 the authorities were going to go back in and search that location? Yes. yes. Um, so in 2019, I was also told that the road um, leading to the Eagle Nest Trailhead had been washed out. It, it, over the years, I've struggled with this road. And it, it did not sound good this time. It sounded like it was, it was gone. Um, so... If the RCMP were going to go in, it would have to be helicopter. It's, it's, they just, obviously, a lot of people don't have the time to do a hike in, and especially if the road is gone. So it, it would be helicopter, and that they would look at that in 2020. And we all know what happened in 2020. COVID hit, and the helicopter um, was, wasn't available. I, I forget the reasonings it had to do with COVID and that they would look at it again in 2021. Right. Wow. 
Now, was there any ability um, to like have ground crews go in in 2019, even if the road wasn't there, like horses to pack in? Like, the, the, I, I guess the logistics for you of having to organize that once you found out, you know, like we all did the whole COVID shutdown thing and got that news, then, you know, you would have been summertime early summer to then be thinking of 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 a plan b which would have been imagine probably not not something you could pull together on short notice no no 2020 was a, a year that <laughs> it just was a year to remember um yeah or forget <laughs> or yeah <start. laughs> yeah uh, so, so hopes again high hopes 2021 2021 is going to be the year the COVID isn't going to be an issue we're we're going to have the RCMP go in I just assumed that if there was a lead that that's the route I was to take I wasn't aware that if it was a lead I, I needed to arrange and go in I don't know why I just assumed I'm always to report to the RCMP what I'm finding and that's what I did. I wasn't told not to. I wasn't told to do this. This is just what I did. Yeah. And and so, 2021 came in. Uh, an uncle who was involved on most of the searches, if not all of them, he said, you know, you should maybe reach out to them early. Because they may not know that it's a short time frame. If you're going to go in, it's a short time frame, and, and they need to book that helicopter early. It, it give them enough notice to book that helicopter so it, they can go in in the month of July. Make, make sure you contact them. And and so I did. I did contact them. Um, I believe that was in May. And they did, they did um, call me back. I mean, we did have a conversation, and then... In in June, I received a phone call, and they said that, unfortunately, again, the helicopter wasn't available. Um, but they have reached out to BC Parks, and they would do a walkabout and check that area for us, and that they would be going in in a couple weeks. And so uh, I was so excited. Yeah. Um, yes, huh. finally we have a date, couple weeks, just couple weeks. And, and this is around the middle of June, so I'm thinking, okay, July, early July, July 1st, kind of that time frame. And the end of July came and I hadn't heard anything. So I picked up the phone, phoned again, and said, hey, what did BC Parks find? And I was told, sorry, due to staffing issue, BC Parks wasn't able to go in maybe next year. Jeez. Well, so those words, maybe next year, um, <laughs> those are killer words. I've heard them lots. And I turned to my daughters and said, it's not going to happen. And I was upset. I've patiently waited since 2019 and my oldest daughter Miranda was heartbroken frustrated angry and she's like mom I'm gonna do a video 
because this is just wrong. I'm going to do a video. And within a week, she did a video. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, and that's, I, I saw that. I came, I, I came across that and saw that and kind of reached out to you and kind of, you know, here we are. It was, uh, um, she did a great job. Um, I think from people I've talked to that that video has probably hit more people in, in the last couple of months or, you know, since it came out than maybe a lot of information has over the last, you know, 16 years. So that's just amazing. Um, she did, did a great job. Very, very informative. Now, one of the, the, the challenges, I guess, I understand of where this hunter found, um, the tent was, you said he didn't have a GPS unit and then he had to come back and sort of like recollect, um, off of satellite photos. And so you have kind of like a, a circle. Like a, a circle drawn around a geographic area, which is better small, than nothing, but um, but yeah, compared to a seven hundred thousand hectare park, or down to like it. I'm, I think it's like a circle probably covers maybe a hundred hectares or something like that. You know, like it, it. He he thinks it was somewhere in there. So, I mean, that is still like an extensive area to search. He, he, even that, right? Like it's. Um, and now, like you said, when he saw it, the tent was collapsed. So, you know, six, six more years has gone by, like, you know, debris. And like, it's somebody's going to have to do a really good job to potentially just sort of see something sticking up out of the forest floor or whatever. So. And at that time, he had said that he could have walked right by it. Like, it, it was so tucked in, so nicely tucked in, in this little tree area area like yeah out of the out of the weather um yeah. yeah like sheltered from the wind and all that good stuff like yeah that would be a, a a spot that any of us would probably pick yeah so now tell us about recently in the last few days or week so my daughter's video like you said, has a lot of people viewed it. And bam, I started getting acknowledgement and asking questions of where, where is this? Can you send me a picture of this map? And uh, one gentleman reached out to me and he happened to be a member of Terror Search and Rescue. And he said, I, I, can't, I can't shake this video. Like, hmm. I just, I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring it forward. And the very, I understood he was going to bring it forward at the next meeting, but the very next day he had told another member and that member reached out and he's like, this hits home. I just came back from doing a solo sheep hunt and I too have two daughters. And he said, this just hits home. Yes, we we're we're going forward with this. And next thing you know, the, lead of search and rescue from Terrace was calling me and and said we want to help you we want to help you <laughs> way better oh. words <laughs> no kidding yeah wow and so they went in recently yeah so within a week they picked their team they wanted to make sure that they had some sheep hunters on the team and uh 
of course, um, members on the team. And so there was two teams of four and they took the hunter that found the tent as well. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, that was big. Um, that, that, that hunter is, you know, he, he was going back himself. He was frustrated with the authorities as well. And he was going back. He's, he just like, he was going back. He said, I, I can go back and I can get a GPS on this. This is crazy. Um, so I did let search and rescue know his name and they, they did take him. Um, unfortunately, like these guys are amazing. Um, they were asking for a task number in order to do this search. And I got refused, I guess. Government didn't want to give them a task number. So these guys said, don't matter, we're gonna go. So out of pocket, they packed the gear and off they went and they just went in on Saturday. Wow. Just as in, as individual citizens. Yeah. So a task number, like if it was an official search, um, search through search and rescue because they're government funded, that's sort of like the task number would mean like that they were approved to get funding. Yeah, I was I was involved with search and rescue in Fernie here for a little bit, and that's kind of one of the people will directly phone search and rescue, but they need to phone. 911 first like for anything because you need that task number because then anything helicopter time whatever that's all written off um you get insurance for all the guys that are going in there all that sort of stuff it's it's kind of like a um yeah yeah for it to be an official search and rescue call call out gotcha. it's it's a yeah, gotcha. it's provincially uh accepted with with that number okay that's good that's good to know so they just on their own time went in saturday so that was um two days ago two days ago yeah okay. so they're they're yeah. how, how long were they planning to be in for uh just the saturday sunday and then come out on monday okay. and their whole goal was to find the tent and if or when they found the tent, they would uh, time any time remaining then branch off. And that was the purpose of the sheep hunters was where would he go for a day hunt? Where, okay. Let, let's, let's see if we can find more. Okay. No, that's a really smart way to approach it mm -hmm. because you are really, you know, using the mind of a hunter to understand the behavior of a hunter that they're looking for. So, um, yeah, kudos to those those people. Yeah. Um, so you're maybe expecting a phone call or something today or soon or? I actually received my phone call this morning. Um, nothing. They could not oh, find geez. that camp. Mm. So <laughs> very, very heartbreaking. Um, I've went through this many times with all the searches, so I'm pretty strong. I get my hopes up, but I know to, you know, wear that steel suit. But these searchers, they, they put their heart and soul into doing this for me. And they're just crushed. Mm. Absolutely wow. crushed. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's tough. And 
you know, if there's sheep hunters there, um, they're not going to give up. I mean, I can probably guarantee you just given the tenacity of sheep hunters, the tenacity that Tom had to undertake that type of thing that they're probably not gonna, they're not gonna stop till they find something. And, and I'm sure, I'm sure people are gonna be motivated to, to, to go back like the fellow that found it. I'm sure he's probably not comfortable with the fact that he couldn't refind a location, you know, even if it was quite a few years ago, I, I could completely appreciate what that feels like to not remember where, where you had been. So, um, wow. Um, that, that's, that's tough. That's changed, changed you in a big, big way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. But there's yeah. a lot of missing people out there and it's, it's hard. It's hard not knowing. Mm -hmm. Um, so looking back on your experience, what are, what are some of the things that you've thought about that were like, you know, now that I look back on this, if only I had, if only he had like, what, what are some of those things that you could think of? Like, and I'm thinking about them in ways of something that might help somebody that's listening to this. I th right now, there are technology. There's in-reach, there's spot. Mm. Pack them. <laughs> Pack them. <laughs> We didn't have that opportunity. We had satellite phone. And no, Tom wasn't packing a satellite phone, but I experienced those satellite phones during the 2006 search for him. And they would say a word and they would drop out and they're horrible. Um, 10 days is too long of no communication. You, it, the communication is big. And, the, and the, okay. that, that, that reach, that spot, that that's your communication. That's your lifeline. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, those things are in, invaluable now. And, and I hope, I hope everybody that's listening that, you know, is in, in the back country. Um, if you leave cell coverage, um, you know, to that, that becomes your primary communication device, uh, even in cell coverage. Phones are pretty fragile. They hit water, the batteries die. I know those spot units can last months on a set of lithium batteries. So, um, yeah, I mean, just anywhere. It's great to have one of those things. What about this idea of solo hunting? <laughs> so, limited entry. It's a solo hunt. He was awarded a solo hunt. One hunter, one permit. One, yeah. Okay. You know, I, if it was a buddy hunt, right? A buddy, you would have that other person with you. I know there's group hunts, 
But this was a solo hunt and he went for 20 days. What buddy's going to hang out with you for 20 days <laughs> and not be able to do it? You know, maybe I'm looking at it wrong. I, I don't know. No, I, I understand that. Yeah. 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 Like we have the group hunts um, in the province for moose because um, they kind of recognize like the sort of the family aspect of of moose hunting um, but goats and sheep and those other permits are you know just strictly thought of as you know a license for a hunter and I completely understand somebody that's like you said Tom won the lottery and he was going whether his best friend went or his family went with him or whatever to just share that experience with him he, he was he was going it was potentially a one once in a lifetime opportunity right so that's a really interesting point that I had never you know thought of especially somewhere like Spats Easy Wilderness Plateau. There's the doll sheep permits in northeastern Tatshin Alsac area. The same thing, super remote. You know, basically the farthest place in the province to get to up there by Alaska. And a hunter draws that. And my brother-in-law drew that permit back in the 80s. And he couldn't find anybody to go. And he went on that by himself. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, you, you know the passion your husband had for winning that lottery. And it's like he was not going to be like the week before, oh, so-and-so dropped out. Okay, I'm not going to go. So, no. um, so do you, you must be a strong advocate then of like buddy hunting. <laughs> it's... I am. I am. Um, this could have happened to Tom with a buddy. Like, we don't know what happened. Gotcha. Nope. Mm. Yeah, um, that's true. And, until we know, you know, what happened. I guess part of safety is risk management. Um, so safe, safety in numbers, I guess. Um, I understand, and, and again, you kind of have to talk to a hunter. Like, there is a huge personal part of hunting where the solo hunting is the experience. Um, I've spent most of my life, most of my hunting expeditions are by myself. Um, and, and I, I understand, you know, what you do with personal accomplishments and stuff. I also have had things happen where I've been pretty lucky and spring bear hunting south of Dees Lake by myself. Nobody knew where I was. Um, I tried to cross a river in the springtime because I saw a bear on the other side and I got swept down the river. Waders filled up. I went in full pack, rifle, the whole thing. Managed to get the shore, build a fire, that sort of thing. And it's like, that was lucky. And I think probably everybody listening that's probably got a close call story. So, um, that just becomes more dangerous when you're by yourself. So, yeah, yeah. Um, other other things that you can think of that would be like advice to pass on. Um, we always. 
go ahead. So if you, if other hunters are going to do a solo hunt um, on their own, their loved ones need to know exactly what they have, exactly what they have with them. Uh, I was fortunate enough to know everything that Tom had with him. I have his entire gear list because okay. that's what the searches are searching for is they oh. know what he's packing. They, I have pictures of um, his spotting scope and pictures of the tent and pictures of his his clothing, the, the name brand of the clothing. And I didn't have pictures of everything. And looking back, I wish I had. Um, but that that's really important because those pieces are uh, are clues to finding him. If a bear got into his pack or whatever, I, I have his list of exactly what food he was packing. So if a little piece of of the uh, Tim Foley's package, yeah. I, I can say, yeah, 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 he was packing that. Mm -hmm. um, it's I know what he was packing. And uh, the picture, pictures are great. Unfortunately, he took a new sleeping bag. He had bought uh, within that year a new sleeping bag and for life me, I can't even remember the color of it. Oh, and that, and okay. that, you know how frustrating that is? It's <laughs> so frustrating. So wow. yeah, no, leave that list. Let them know what you're packing. Let them take pictures of things. It's kind of like house insurance. You know, your, your house burns down and the insurance company is like, what, what was in it? Um, yeah, because um, we had potentially like the forest fire thing here this summer and I was getting kind of ready and I was going around taking videotapes of everything. So, yeah, I totally understand that. That is an amazing point. Yeah. I have never heard that before and I've never thought of that. Um, and, and this is what I find really interesting talking to you because th this is the perspective from you on the other end waiting and wondering not all of the stuff that we normally think about like that the hunters normally think about what am i going to do if something happens what am i going to do if i'm hurt what do i have to survive how i'm going to make a fire all of these sorts of like self-management things this is now thinking about it from the search perspective or your perspective and that that is that is a great, great piece of advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Never would have, never would have thought of that. Um, the satellite personal devices, I've been kind of thinking about this a lot that, you know, and, and you said how important those are for pe people to have now. And I think it's also it's also how you use them as well. The technology's there, the satellite signals get out, but it's, it's they gotta be used in a way that's, um, you know, going to be useful to, to you or searchers. And um, so like that check-in plan, like what's your plan? You know, with somebody back home, are you gonna check in every night at the end of the day, first thing in the morning? If you, and I've done this, you go to sleep and you forget to check in at nighttime, then don't panic. I'll check in in the morning when I wake up. Like, I, I would assume those things are important to communicate to, as as part of your plan. Like what you're going to do with that that device. Um, I, 
you know, those, those devices, you can turn on the tracking. So like every 10 minutes, 15, half hour, hour, it just continually is sending a signal back where you were and you're literally leaving a bread crumb, bread, breadcrumb trail while, while you're walking. And I'm sure if you would have had that, that would have quickly narrowed <laughs> down somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Like, like so quickly that, that very first, that very first fall. So, um, yeah, don't. You know, if you're in an area, I guess, where you're worried about that, okay, if something happened in this spot or that spot, then have that tracking turned on, leave that digital breadcrumb trail for, for people. Um, I have mine set up so that I, one of my custom messages is where I park my truck. So if I'm hunting and moving from spot to spot, every time I park my truck, I hit it and say, this is where the truck's parked because at least if I don't come back, then search and rescue get to my truck, which is my last point of known last location that they, that I was right. And then they can start a search from there as opposed to spending two days flying the entire Valley looking for the pickup truck and then starting the search from there. So I think that's, that's something that, um, that I do, um, this is where you're camping, like put your camp spot. Another thing that I do is if I get a game animal and I'm by myself, I hit the check in. Okay. Because when you're by yourself and you have a game animal down or even with a partner, there's always the risk of a grizzly bear. And if something were to happen to you while you're processing an animal on the ground by by putting that point you're saying you're okay you know nothing's wrong but at least that's the last point people know to go look to that spot there and then they're going to probably you know um figure out the scenario quite quite quickly so that's something that i do um and hopefully that helps people and another one I thought of is especially up north with sheep hunting and stuff as people are crisscrossing streams. You can be on one side and then take your boots and roll your pants up and wade across, right? As man, stuff can happen with 60, 70 pound packs and crossing a stream. And you know, it's not like fishing in the summertime. So maybe check in okay on one side of the stream and when you get safely to the other side, hit okay again. It's not, not going to hurt, I guess. So, um, yeah. And I, I think I've, I've changed my thinking and I've started to think about it from rather than just checking in to say I'm okay or checking in if something's happened, people can find me quickly. But I also tend to think about it. If I can't communicate, if something happens and I've passed away out there, how are people going to find me quickly? And that's changed my thinking about thinking about it from the perspective that my family needs to find me, um, as opposed to me saying I need to be found. And so I do things differently with my, with my satellite device when I have that lens. Um, yeah, so I hope that, I hope those little things kind of help a little bit. Over the years, you know, since, since he first went missing, have you, have you ever had any experiences? 
or dreams or anything happen where you have a feeling? Um, so when he went, first went missing and the girls woke up to go to school, um, it was a miserable day. It was just pouring rain. It was a miserable day. And our radio, because I always listen to the radio to see if their bus is going to be on schedule. <laughs> and it went so loud all on its own, just loud. And I ran over to turn it down and it wouldn't turn down. It was just loud. Mm -hmm. And I take that, that he was there. He was ready to hear me tell the girls that he didn't come home. Because right. it was just before I had to tell him. Right. And a couple of days after that, my daughter was sleeping. And when he worked um, swing shift. And whenever he came in, he always went into the rooms and covered them up. And my oldest daughter, the one that did the video, she was nine. And she woke up just screaming in the night. And she said he covered her up. Wow. Mm. Wow. But so, I, th I, I, I think, I think he's, I think he's helping us try to help find him. And right. One day okay. we will. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's an amazing feeling just in itself. Somehow, somehow there's. There's some, there's some help, there's some understanding and, and it's being done for your benefit. Yeah. Wow. Um, so what are your thoughts now? What are your next steps? What are your plans? Uh, it's surreal today, finding mm. out that nothing was found again. Um, I just, we're not going to give up. Yeah. Keep, keep getting the word out. Yep. Keep getting on social media. Um, yeah. That's why we wanted to have Jan to tell the story because we wanted to play whatever role we could in getting mm -hmm. people to, um, you know, reach people that may not see it in any other way, shape or form. And you just don't know the way the world works today. I mean, somebody right now could be listening in Texas and they know somebody in BC that's done this and they heard that and it's like all this stuff connects together like it's just that's the world works that way that nowadays so um, I hope you know in s some way through you know people listening maybe that uh, this will reach somebody that reaches somebody that you know goes in there and finds something so yeah so I do have a uh... A web page and it's missing and spat easy. Um, okay, we'll put that in the show notes. In in there is my email address. If anybody wants to reach out, um, search and rescue will be giving me a map of everywhere that they searched um, for that tent, and okay. so it kind of helps that we can kind of cross off that little section because they did a very thorough job. Okay. And. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just reach out by email. I respond to everybody, and uh, it's the okay. easiest way to find me. Okay, 
Um, well, yeah, we'll make sure all of that gets into the show notes. So now the, that actual area, um, like the circle we were talking about before where the hunter thought it was somewhere in there, is that on the website or is that something you would send somebody, uh, if they contacted you and say, Hey, I'm going in there on a hunt. Yeah. Is it, that? It's not on the website. Uh, just the basic info is on the website, but anybody that reaches out to me and says that they, you know, Hey, we are headed to the Ram Creek area. Can you please let me know where, send me the map and, okay. and for sure I'll, I'll, I will send the map. Perfect. And, th and then you said uh, the update on that map will be like a crosshatched area or something that was just searched this weekend by, by the volunteers. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That, that, so, so not giving up means it's just a matter of time now because you're going to be like systematically kind of like marking off that, that polygon, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it's a matter of time. <laughs> <laughs> it'll it'll happen um the video that your daughter did is uh an amazing story um t it's one thing to listen to this it's the other thing to like look at her face while she tells a story right like it's um you're going to hear the same information but i think you need to like watch the video as well and we'll put mm -hmm. that in the show notes so if you're listening to this also go watch um miranda on the video um and and it's just gonna like um inspire you more uh you know uh if you want to get involved or you know s something in in that way and you know leading up to the doing the podcast you and i talked it was it's also really important part of this story is is that people hear your story from the perspective of the spouse that's at home wondering and waiting because if you need to up your game when you're going out there hunting and communicate better um, leave maps behind leave contact numbers take some money out of the kids college fund and go buy a spot device so that you can communicate on on a on a regular basis when you're out on the hunts um if any of this like what you're listening to tammy here inspires you to like do it a little bit differently this fall than you have ever done before i think if well we would never know but if this could never happen again i think that would be would be a tremendous part of, of you sharing this story as well. So, yeah. I mean, when we first started talking, we're going to do the podcast. I went and bought the spot, the spot device that I can text from. I had the one before where I could just say I'm okay or I need help. Um, so I went and got the version where I can send text messages back and forth. The two young fellows, two Curtis's best friends that are, out with me right now on um, the elk hunt in the bow season. Uh, they both bought these just in the last couple of days so that if need be, we can communicate with each other out in the mountains as well as they're able to communicate. So um, that's been one change I've made uh, actually from um, watching your daughter's video. I just, I finally went, you know, I have to go spend the money and be able to text my wife and and say specific things rather than just like 
okay <laughs> truck parked here sort of stuff so thank you um any last thoughts messages just always keep your eyes peered whether it's in spat Susie or anywhere if something doesn't feel right go with your gut mm. very true mm -hmm. yeah very true um that's another great piece of advice you know as well i earlier this year i was watching some of the documentaries of david david pilates can-am 411 missing people from the united states like people that have gone missing in canada and the united states just unexplained uh gone missing and it's actually interesting the number of stories that were out there of somebody missing especially children that were missing they were actually seen by somebody that were out there and they didn't do or say anything till later they they kind of did that gee that seems really weird that there was a kid over there on that ridge by himself and they carried on and then the next day they got home and they saw the news and they're like oh my god and but it was it was it was too late um so what you just said kind of struck a chord with me uh, from that is, is that's, that's great. You know, use those senses. If something doesn't seem right out there, um, act on it. Cause you're probably, your intuitions are probably right. Something probably is not right. So, um, another great piece of advice. Uh, the other thing we'll put in the show notes is you have a GoFundMe account now. Yes. Um, to help those eight amazing terrorist search and rescue right so yeah i mean uh i'll put the i'll put the link in the show notes um if you want to search just search um go uh do the gofundme and i think i just searched your name tammy leonard gofundme and and it come came up right away so uh on behalf of the hunter conservationist podcast we donated a hundred dollars to that right before this show so thank you <laughs> um tammy thanks so much for coming on the show and telling this story um i know you're nervous i was nervous too so <laughs> so it's uh it, it's it's a it's a heart gripping story um it's an important story uh i hope that we've inspired some people like i said to kind of maybe do things a little differently in communicating and leaving their plans behind and don't buy that bio, bino harness go buy a spot or garmin <laughs> a satellite communicator um, and make sure you have that and you use it a lot so thank you so much yeah. um we wish you the best and your daughter's the best in carrying on and we'll follow your story and maybe get back together and talk about some good news. Yes. Yes, yeah. that would be wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. Thanks. Um, Curtis, go ahead. Right on. So we would like to thank Alpine Toyota of Cranbrook once again. We are excited that they are going to be with us for the next 24 episodes. Uh, hopefully we got some cool stuff coming from those guys. 
Um, also, I'm not uh, I'm not really sure how how it works. I know you've been doing a little bit more on it, but uh, we have a new podcast. Yeah, the Hunters Underground podcast. It is a patron account for all you fans of the hunter conservationists that are looking for a way to up your fanship and help us out a little bit. Um, are you going to throw that in the show notes? I, I will. I'll put the link to the patron account. Cool. Yeah. So, And that will, uh, if you sign up, you'll have access to the Hunters Underground podcast, with Curtis mm-hmm. and I. Yeah. Uncut, unfiltered, as it says in the, uh, the album cover. It's, uh, yeah, exclusive content. We get down into the nitty-gritty of a lot of stuff. Nowhere that we can, Absolutely. Get, kicked, that we can get kicked off for saying opinions and talking about stuff. So it's cool. Hopefully you guys check that out. We would really appreciate that. Absolutely. The Hunters Underground podcast, you'll probably see a snippet show up in your feed if you subscribe to this podcast give you a little flavor and then mm-hmm. we'd really appreciate you to go over to our patron account uh sign up and start following us and communicating with us of things you'd like us to talk about or dig into or explain or analyze so that's what the hunters underground podcast is about tammy thanks again yeah thank um, you thank you guys pass, pass on our uh, best wishes to your daughters uh and like i said earlier look forward to uh us getting back together and hearing um a good news story or the best of possible news stories when tom is found um i feel it as well i can see it in your face uh when you said we are not going to give up yeah i can i can see it in your face i wish people could see that because um that's real folks and their family's not going to give up so help their family go to the gofundme account um give them a little bit and uh let's bring tom home to tammy and his girls all right everybody thanks and we will uh talk to you in the next episode